Okay, so we might as well get started. Uh, welcome uh, to this Academy of Ideas book club to discuss Kazuya Ishiguro's new novel, Clara and the Sun. Um, my name's Jeff Kidder. I'm membership and events director at the Academy of Ideas. Good to see you all this evening. Uh, people who've been to many book clubs and people who come for the first time, we're delighted uh, that, that, that you're here. Just to say, probably pe most people here are over familiar with Zoom, but just in case you're not, um, the way this discussion works is Ella, who I'll introduce in a moment, will give an introduction on the book. Then we'll just open it up to points people want to make, questions, contributions on any aspect of the book or surrounding themes which you think are, are, are pertinent. If you'd like to speak at any point during the discussion, uh, you, it's best to raise your hand metaphorically on Zoom. So either, depending on your device or computer, go to the bottom, to the participant section or the reaction section. It's different on different types of uh, computer. Um, and there you have an option to raise your hand, which raises a blue hand, which uh, I can then see and take people in turn to speak. If that doesn't work, you could either send me a note in the chat or wave your hand furiously or whatever, uh, and we'll make sure that everybody, uh, make sure everybody gets to speak. Uh, the, the other announcement I should make is that at the Academy of Ideas, uh, we've been saying this for a year now, and nobody's been furloughed uh, during the pandemic. So if you are in a position at all to support us, um, uh, uh, either uh, financially or through becoming an associate, please do so. And I'll put a link in the chat uh, in, in a couple of minutes so that people can uh, do that if they're in a position to. So just to say that um, Kazuya Ishiguro is a book is, is a novelist we like at the Academy of Ideas Book Club. Uh, many years ago, or it feels many years ago, we discussed Never Let Me Go. And back in 2015, uh, Ella introduced what I think is my favorite of his novels, um, The Buried Giant, um, which is, people, some people here will have read. There's no obligation to have read it to come along, but it's uh, quite an interesting book if, if you haven't read it. Um, and we've invited Ella back again to discuss Clara and the Sun, which um, is a fascinating book about AI and a fascinating book about humanity. Ella, as some of you will know, is co-convener of the Battle of Ideas Festival, which is a festival of ideas and debate, uh, which happens in London and will be, be back again, um, fingers crossed in October, um, and is a journalist, writer, and author, uh, uh, you know, a very interesting person to read generally. So without any further ado, I'll introduce Ella, who will give her introduction, and then we'll open it up to discussion. Ella. Thank you very much, Jeff, for having me back again at the book club. You know, Clara in the Sun has this great line, rooms within rooms within rooms. Uh, and this is the human heart to Ishiguro, a strange house with rooms inside rooms. Uh, and this novel, rumoured to be his last, Clara and the Sun, in it he asks whether we believe in the cavernous capabilities of the heart and actually more importantly, whether we might have forgotten what it is that really makes the heart human and the soul human. And through the eyes of this AF artificial friend called Clara, Ishiguro explores life between two families in a futuristic world of pollution, isolation and bubbling and unexplained social unrest 
Hired to be a companion to Josie, a preteen with an unexplained illness, Clara's task is to stave off the danger of loneliness creeping in. And it's actually quite remarkable reading it, reading loneliness described in this way, given the current context that we're in of the pandemic, because loneliness is an affliction that Ishiguro just basically turns into a virus, something which almost every single one of the characters in this novel is taking some precaution to prevent. And as with all Ishiguro novels, Clara and the Sun is layered with different meaning. It's dedicated to his mother, who died two years before its publication. I think it's very, that's very influential in, in the uh, way in which the book is framed. The novel explores our most intimate relationships, unearthing why some of the things that make us human, like experiencing loss, uh, love and yearning, remain untouched, even in the bleak setting of a futuristic society in decay. Uh, and this is where I've, there are lots of spoilers in my introduction, but I'm going to assume that lots of you have read the novel or either don't mind about spoilers. But the big spoiler is the question of uh, this question that he asks, which is how much control should human beings have over nature, especially when it comes to shaping future generations? And uh, he did an interview with The Guardian uh, recently about the book in which he explained the nod to spoiler alert gene editing in the book um, as a means to explore his his fears of the future and he says in this guardian interview the nature of capitalism itself is changing its model i do worry that we are not in control anymore of these things which it sounds quite uh that i had to fight that coloring my reading of the book that that comment that he made but with like never let me go in the buried giant ishiguru is asking i think the same questions about human beings ability to shape the world around them and what dilemmas that process of shaping the world might raise. I and mean, he, in 2015, he described uh, it, his dirty secret, which was that he tends to write the same book over and over. And um, lots of people have suggested, I think actually even he has suggested that Never Let Me Go, The Buried Giant, and now Clara and the Sun as takes on some form of a trilogy. But if we just look briefly at the kind of the political implications of the novel, because um, I have to admit, I'm, I'm less enamored with Ishiguru's politics than I am with the way in which he writes in particular there was this uh, interview in 2017 that he did just after he won the Nobel Prize um, in which he talked about populism and the dangers of not uh, fighting back against the kind of populist trend in Europe and repeating the 20th century in ways that really made me wince but uh, indeed while Never Let Me Go looked at the way in which human beings understand the value of life and the buried giant was about our desire to make meaning in the world Clara and the Sun, I think, is Ishiguro's most forensic and paired back investigation into, which into what truly makes us human. And actually, despite his concerns expressed in that Guardian interview about a changing world, I really don't think that the novel should be mistaken as some kind of either reaction against technological advances or some kind of dystopia. Because, in fact, the existence of artificial intelligence in the novel, actually, it almost melts into the background. I mean, Clara and her friend Rosa are the only AFs we really meet. And instead of focusing on the moral conundrum of human-like inventions, um, Ishiguri is really, I think, more interested in utilising the objective, quite cold, quite formulaic, um, minimalist lens of Clara to the robot to examine the complex nature of human relationships. And... Much like the whispers of memory teasing readers throughout The Buried Giant, Ishiguro drip feeds us snippets of information throughout the book and we find out that, you know, this secret um, or kind of uh, unexplained uh, idea of 
kids being lifted um, and the kind of the the nod to what that might mean in relation to gene editing making them smarter but obviously then we find out also comes with a risk because Sal Josie's sister had died from going through the process and Josie's illness is a result of her mother Chrissy's choice to risk it again and it's a thing you know in relation to this process of lifting is where the strongest political insights come in um, where there's this amazing scene where we see the uh the the interaction meeting as it's called that Josie has to host with other children who have been uh, lifted and when things become fractious as they do with kids um, and young people between Rick who is the only normal child who normal child who hasn't been lifted um, and a particularly snotty member of the lifted crowd with the, got this you know really tense situation in which one of the mothers rushes in and tries to defuse the situation starts shouting at Rick uh, and. Chrissy, Josie's mum, comes in and reminds her of the fact that this is all relatively artificial, that actually this meeting is about trying to artificially, um, in a very controlled and and planned way, um, get these lifted kids to try and understand what it really means to have human interactions, to practice what it's like to be normal. She says, um, you know, if it's the only way that they'll learn, which is, you know, I think Ishiguro really making a point there about the stilted, you know, the stilted way in which we're moving towards interacting with each other than ways in which not just artificial intelligence, but the changing nature of our human relationships um, creates problems for a natural kind of interaction with each other. And Ishiguro's answer to the question about human nature and understanding the heart is, I think, really that he says it's only through these interactions and relationships with other people that we reveal what it means to be human and the complexity of our rooms within room, even or especially when these social connections cause us pain. Um, there's a moment of quiet insight when uh, Clara and Chrissy, Josie's mum, are kind of skirting around the difference between human beings and artificial intelligence at that kind of early period when you really feel that, uh, Chrissy's distrust and almost hatred of Clara, when she says it must be great not to miss things, not to long to get back to something, not to be looking back all the time. Chrissy says that to Clara as a way of, of, of defining what the difference is between her, the human, and the artificial friend. And it's, I think it's really notable, and perhaps we can get into this in the discussion, that Clara is one of the few Ishiguro narrators who has no memory uh, and does not look back, is incapable of looking back. You know, unlike Stevens, um, unlike Kathy and Never Let Me Go, and actually, in a way, unlike Beatrix and Axel and the Very Giant, who are constantly in the process of trying to look back and trying to remember what it what their past was um you know what what i think we could ask what is Ishiguro trying to say there about the way in which we make meaning in relation to history our own history and our collective history i think that actually the main point i want to kind of make tonight is that i think chrissy is the most important character in the novel the mother because she understands best what it is like to and what it means to risk losing a piece of one's heart a piece of that social connection through uh, clara's eyes when we first encounter her as aloof and uncaring and impersonal and um, we have a sense of her as being you know detached from her humanness detached from her soul not wanting to sit and have and have chats with her daughter these kind of very staged very tense uh, breakfast meetings with the coffee morning that sort of jo Josie is really orchestrating rather than her mother um, and at times it feels like the artificial friend Clara has more of an emotional attachment to her daughter than she does but as the novel continues and we discover this horrendous tragic secret of Chrissy's plans to get Clara to continue or clone Josie if it ha happens that Josie dies from this process of lifting it becomes 
starkly clear how deep and inconsolable Chrissy's love is for her child because she just cannot force herself to think like Mr. Capaldi, this really horrible, creepy guy who is working on Josie's robot clone um, and who Clara plans to inhabit. He reprimands Chrissy for not accepting that there is no difference between her child and a robot pretending to be her child. She says, he ref you're refusing to let go and you're refusing, you just, you know, refusing to stop believing that there's something unreachable inside each of us. And Chrissy, even though she ums and ahs, really ultimately can't let go of that distinction. And at the end of the novel, when Capaldi returns to request that Clara be used as some kind of experiment, in this phrase he uses reverse engineering, Chrissy steps in and protects the robot like a mother, insisting that she deserves her slow fade. And in this charge of emotion between mother and artificial robot, something very human happens. In fact, Clara describes the feeling of the brush of Chrissy's shoulder and her jumper when defending her against, you know, and, and, and remembers a previous time in which they embraced um, when they go up into the mountains for that walk by the waterfall. In Ishiguru's world, our emotional connections are so important and so strong and so full of meaning that they can transcend the limitation between the black box of the artificial intelligence, that's what Capaldi describes Clara as, and the human heart. And this is not because I think, as Capaldi believes, there is no difference between us and them. I don't think that's what Ishiguru is saying. But it's actually because the complexity and wonder of human beings is so strong that we are able to give value and meaning to things which have no real understanding of meaning at all. And just to kind of finish, I think the main question Ishiguru is asking us is if we are willing to play God with human beings through gene editing or artificial intelligence or all these new things, he's fascinated by new technology, says that in all his interviews, um, and the potential of what, what it might you know, mean for changes in society. He's really asking, can an artificial friend like Clara become just as authentically human as us? And I think he answers that question quite definitively through Clara. In a final scenes when she's reunited with the manager of her store that she was initially bought from, while she's in this very <laughs> bleak ending, actually waiting to fade in what's kind of loosely described as some kind of scrapyard, Clara says that the special something that Capaldi failed to recognise in Josie was not actually in Josie at all. It was inside those who loved her. And she's very aware of her limitations. She admits that she can never be the same as Josie. She says, I believe now there would have remained something beyond my reach. And, you know, I think it's remarkable that Ishiguro uses the word I believe and important that he puts the word I believe into the mouth of a robot to give something that supposedly isn't able to share human consciousness that doesn't have a heart or soul, the capability of putting faith in something through belief. And while many might have closed Clara and the Son mourning Clara, and I certainly close the book in tears because it really is quite a sad ending and uh, you know in never I'm, I remember reading his description of never let me go when he said it's it's a sad book but it's not a dystopian I think there's something similar going on here it doesn't have to be dystopian but it is really really pulls on your heartstrings um this is no dystopia while her nourishment Clara's nourishment comes from the sky and the sun it is in her ability to bring together the characters of this novel in that amazing scene that saves the day in Josie's bedroom when they are entranced by the orange half disc that looked as if it might catch a light. In this bleak world of terrifying technological advances and uh, Cooper's machines that spit out gross, you know, soot and dirt and fathers who are absent and all kinds of social problems and, and fear and risk and alienation, the sun still shines. I think that's rather important. So I'll leave it there and open up for discussion. Thank you very much, Ella. That was really, uh, really interesting and 
many points raised. So um, I'm just going to hand it over. Really, if people have got any questions they'd like to ask and anything they'd like to raise themselves, other points um, that are not being covered by Ella in the introduction, just raise your hands. I'll give people a couple of minutes and then um, and then we'll then we'll get going. Uh, okay. And also I'll ask people to because most people are muted, so people can just unmute themselves and then speak. That's the best thing. Uh, Chrissy. Hi. Yeah, I thought that was a very uh, excellent introduction. Um, I just wanted to sort of um, draw attention to what I thought was the crucial scene within the book, which is where the, the, the father um, and Clara are in the car, car together. And the father is explaining to Clara that, that he, dis, he hates Capaldi, the man who's building the robot replacement, um, but that in, in it, in it, he confesses that he actually believes the same thing as Capaldi, that there is no intangible essence that makes a human different from the robot, um, but that he believes that the mother uh, is only pretending to believe the same thing, and that once she, um, once she is confronted with her replacement child, she will re re react very badly to, to, to that. So I, I felt that what he was doing there is his his holding um, his own withholding his own judgment as the writer. He is suggesting either that there is a um, an, an essence, something which you can't put your finger on, which is beyond the possibility of AI, or that it is essential that we hold on to such a belief in order to make us human. So it's a, it's a, it's a very intriguing um, question, which I think probably is unanswerable, uh, ultimately. Um, because of course, at one step, uh, in, in one sense, we might be looking here at a particular stage in the advance of artificial intelligence, um, which is clearly um, not yet um, something that you could compare to, uh, to a complete human being but it may be moving towards such a thing. And that unanswerable question will, will remain probably indefinitely. Thanks, Chrissy. Okay, uh, uh, Jane? Um, oh yeah, um, so Ella, I was just thinking, so, so obviously that all of the things in your introduction was very brilliant and that um, humans making humanity, I th you know, which is the, the theme you're, saying that, but I just wondered what you thought about the whole faith part, almost the religious side of that, because obviously that, that the big thing in the novel is her getting the sun to come and shine on Josie and whether, you know, so, so Ishiguro does seem to be bringing that in as well, sort of faith and, 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 and something outside the human, but which isn't the, scien the scientific, and, and, and just wondered what you thought about that. Thanks. Uh, Helen? Hi, <clears throat> I really loved this book and I really enjoyed uh, your introduction, Ella. Um, I thought what was brilliant about this book was that he uses, um, it's really what you're saying in terms of exploring the heart, but that he uses the device of the AF to 
absolutely dissect and understand both empathy and human emotions in general. I, I, I thought the most moving part of one, one of the best bits of the book, I thought was a bit when she's in the window and she sees the old man and the woman come together and that she um, uh, sees that they're both, you know, that they come together and there's happiness and sadness at the same time in terms of their, uh, that sort of meeting of them together. And in, and, and, and then then um, Clara then makes sense of that. She's, she's so empathetic in a way that she can, in her very simple, naive way, kind of make sense of essentially what is pathos, I suppose, you know, the sort of sadness that can exist within um, in joy and, and, and the sort of evoking of pity for people. And I think that that, but because it's broken down, it's not like she immediately understands what's happening, but she then kind of imagines a scenario that they haven't seen each other for a long time and they do all this. And I think that she does, he does this again and again through the book in that she sort of pieces together what the human counterparts are thinking in a way that makes us as the reader think about those emotion, those sort of very human emotions um, in a very kind of profound and, and fresh way. It's not just a book that makes you weep at the end, um, but it's a book that actually forces you to make sense of all of those emotions. And so I thought that that was, um, and so like I think I said when we discussed another book which was artificial intelligence i think all of these books about artificial intelligence are really just about humanity it's just a way a device to kind of understand humanity the second thing i thought was um uh very interesting is and i think this is him him as a great writer is that he he has this wonderful way of not explaining things and and then just gradually over the course of the book uh, they make sense. So he treats the reader like a grown-up, which is so refreshing. So the bit about, you know, you begin to understand that when she gets a bit discombobulated, then, you know, her vision gets into these sort of boxes or squares or whatever she says. And and when things are really a bit fraught and she doesn't know what's, what's going on, then they become even more... And you sort of... First, when she mentions the boxes, you're like, what is this? But you're forced to think. And you're forced to kind of rethink about how we see things. So at one point it says, you know, that the face filled all the boxes. And that just the, the way he's making us think about how we look at things and how we experience things, I think is really brilliant. And so he kind of introduces all sorts of things like lifting, um, like um, what happens to the father? He's substituted, which you realise means he's lost his job. You know, there are these sort of things he has where he doesn't... Um, you know, then give you a little footnote and say, well, that, that means da, da, da. he's just expecting the reader to be grown up and make sense of it and to come along with him on the journey. And I thought that was also really good. My final thing, just to start with, I, it also did remind me, for those of us who read this to our children, um, it reminded me of The Velveteen Rabbit. Um, I cried in that as well. So, um, you know, it does have that sort of ending that, you know, being put out to pasture and forgotten. And I feel he owes a lot to that book as well. Thanks, Alan. Uh, Patricia. Yeah, you need to unmute. Yeah, you need to unmute, Patricia. Can you hear me? Yes, can now, yes. All oh, right. Um, 
when Clara's at the end of the book and she's doing her slow fade and she's talking to the manager and she says that she couldn't have become Josie or continued Josie because of the people around Josie, the people who loved her, her mother, the housekeeper, the boy next door. Is Ishiguro trying to say that we are what we are because of the people who love us and their attitude towards us? What do other people think about that? Yeah, good question to explore. I'll take a couple of people with their hands up, then I'll ask Ella okay. to okay. make some reflections, and then we'll come back out again. Uh, so, oh, sorry. Uh, Lara. Yeah, um, I thought that my favourite character in the book is Rick, actually, because he's unlifted, he will never go to college, but he's very humane in a kind of, you know, in a simple way. He helps uh, Clara, he takes her to the barn and without asking many questions and he just sits and waits for her to finish what, what she's doing. And I think that maybe Ishiguro wants to tell us, to tell us something about uh, this kind of humanity that maybe is, I don't know, not modern or is just traditional. I don't know if people have any thoughts about that. Thank you. Uh, Brief. Um, I thought it was interesting that um, we see, I think, probably about a period of five years when Clara, before, from when Clara is introduced to the family until Josie goes to college. And that's, Clara seems to go through a whole life cycle during that time. You know, she's a she's an infant. She's a child, while she's in the shop, um, learning and observing human behavior. And um, thinking in particular, I think about human loneliness. And then um, she comes, and uh, she stays with Josie, and she kind of grows up a little bit as she learns and is exposed a lot more. And I think she also then takes on a mothering type role when she uh, has to essentially look after Josie while she's so ill and, um, and supervise her. And then the sad bit at the end where she's pretty much at the end of her life um, for the slow fade and she reflects back on her life. And so... I know Ella said she doesn't seem to have a memory, but I think that's, uh, she's processing uh, whatever is in her black box uh, while she's in this scrapyard, essentially. And, and but feels very happy, very happy about the life that she's lived uh, and explains that to the manager who finds her and um, is, is pleased that, that uh, she, did a good job essentially in relation to the family as well as she could. And I thought that was quite nice. Obviously it's very sad, I thought, that the family kind of like dumped her. They, under they obviously understood that there was going to be this slow phase. So we're looking at it from a human point of view. She's artificially intelligent and presumably somewhere along the way she knew that, or she understood that she, she had a life a short time um, in which to work with this family. And then once that job was done, that job was done. Uh, whereas for the family, 
um, when Josie went to college, she she gave Clara a hug and said thank you more or less, and then turned her back on her, as did the manager who didn't look back. You know, after that had the conversation, she didn't look back where we thought she was going to look back and wave or whatever. You know, I I, I suppose we're I was anyway um, beginning to think God this 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 artificial friend has be has acquired human traits but Ishiguro basically keeps drawing us putting us back to the fact that she's an artificially intelligent and that's it um but I just want to raise a question about Mr Capelli it's a bit pathetic really but did anybody else think when the uh, housekeeper was uh, warning Clara when she was going to uh, to this visit with with Clara to see Mr. Capelli, and she was saying, "Keep an eye on her. Don't leave her alone with him." Thinking, "Pedophile, pedophile." <laughs> this is too much of kind of twenty first century obsessions impeding uh, or affecting or judge helping us judge what was going on there. Um, on the question that was asked about about um, the uh, about love. I, I mean, I think I think it was quite nice the way that, at least I understood it, that Mr. Capaldi, for example, was looking for uh, what makes people human in the black box. How how they how they work things out. Why they were so intelligent, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And he was looking. He wanted to look for what made um, artificial intelligence so so bright and so advanced. And the answer was that we live in human society and it's how we interact with people and, and how people love each other. And in this instance, how the family loved Josie so much that was uh, would never be uh, reachable to someone who was technically looking for an understanding of how people work. Thanks, Bridge. Okay. Back, back to Ella to, for your reflections, and we go. Yeah, yeah thanks. The, I mean, that the, the point that Chrissy began with in terms of Ishiguro withholding his judgment, and that Breeze has pointed to just there about never really quite admitting whether he thinks that the that the AF is capable of the same or actually maybe even more advanced emotional interaction um, with the characters than the characters themselves. That that continual you know denial of you of a of a kind of a clear answer um from that even though i as i said in the introduction i think he gives a definitive i think kind of almost politically he gives a definitive point that he doesn't want to suggest i think he doesn't want to give in to the idea that uh maybe not politically maybe philosophically that human beings can could be you know could be explained and replicated through artificial intelligence but you know clara is an aberration clara is unique unusual we're told that a lot by the man you know the manager is trying to sell her at the start okay so you there's a certain amount of cynicism there but she she is curious even though these afs are built to be to learn and to pick up things and to move from a state of kind of childlike uh education to understanding their human beings enough to provoke happiness and stave off loneliness 
unlike Rosa, who just kind of is a bit like a bored teenager filing her nails in the window, to, uh, you know, unlike Rosa, Clara is, and Clara gets angry at Rosa for not, you know, she keeps saying, look at the person over there, as Helen said, look at that interaction. Didn't that interest you? What? Let's have a conversation with it. And Rosa just forgets and she, um, you know, she she doesn't pay attention to anything. Her attention span is really short. And I mean, one of the best parts in which Ishiguru nods to the fact that Clara is curious in a way that really only, really only we would understand human beings to be, um, is the part in which she deceives everyone, not deceives, but she secretly goes in to look at the Josie clone. Um, she's, you know, rather than just being this obedient robot, that's like a servant, um, and actually, as a side point, I think it's, it's interesting that Ishiguru quite often returns to people who are, you know, downstairs, for want of a better word, whether it be Stevens or Clara as this kind of servant robot to get that kind of inside perspective and look, see people in ways in which they wouldn't want to be seen um, and see the different sides to people. But she sneaks off and looks at the Josie robot, which which is, and, and uh, Helen's right, Ishiguri doesn't go too much into that. She just does go off and sneak off. But that's telling you that she's, you know, it's she thinks that it's worthwhile for her to learn about this, but she is actually really wants to know what's in, she's, she's, eavesdrops on them she wants to know what's going on and she goes off and does something which she knows is going to possibly cause her trouble because otherwise why would she sneak about doing it so that's you know that's very advanced that's that's uh, suggesting a, a kind of intelligence a kind of emotional intelligence and curiosity and independence actually importantly um that that you wouldn't attribute you'd be very nervous to attribute to artificial in, intelligence i mean just as a side note in one of the interviews uh, I think it was one of the recent ones, or it perhaps was after the Nobel Prize. Ishiguri said that he was uh, that he did believe that there could be AI written novels, uh, and that he was he said that he was okay with that. That actually he was quite excited to see with what they'd come up with, and um, and then he went on a long thing about how we need kind of diversity in literature, which is where I start to nod off. Um, but he but he made some interesting points about um, about artificial intelligence. He's quite he, he does, even though he'd said in the, to The Guardian that he fears where capitalism is going. He's also, on the other hand, quite actually, I think, blasé about the way in which artificial intelligence and technology might affect very human things like the creation of art or the, you know, the expression of human emotion in, in, in literature. Um, just picking up on a, a few other things quickly, Jeff. Um, the 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 thing about the sun and and faith and belief that um, Jane mentioned is interesting because the sun does fuel uh, Clara, so that is true. So there is nothing, there is nothing. Uh, it's fact based in terms of she is powered by the sun, um, and so her her desire to transplant that nourishment onto Josie is in one way more about just her naivety of not understanding what it is fuels human beings. She, she, but also is, you know, quite a strong point in terms of she herself sees no or little difference between her and Josie, even though she, you know, she understands that she's an AF, she understands what her purpose is, but in that belief in the sun that moves away from fact, she is, she is making a greater connection between herself and Josie that I think Josie or Chrissy would make between um, her and them. And, you know, just on a point of perhaps this is a superficial point, but I don't know what other people felt. I think it was for me anyway, I think it was uh, uh, deliberate 
that you don't really, I didn't massively empathize or sympathize with Josie. In fact, I didn't particularly like her a lot of the time. I thought she was a little brat. And, and even though I felt sort of pity for her because of the way in which her family, you know, you might, might see she kind of got a screwed up family situation and the relationship with the mother and the father. And it's all, you know, as Bree says, kind of modern, modern preoccupations. Like, but I, I just didn't have that connection, which I agree with Laura. I did have with Rick, where you just think Rick is this wonderful boy who is perceptive in ways which none of the adults are. And there's that kind of, you know, that really awful moment where he basically schools Chrissy um, when they think Josie is in her last hours where he just think, oh, this kid. Um, but I didn't, but there is a lot of the human characters are deeply flawed, um, are, are, are actually quite unlikable. Um, and Breeze is right, you know, the, the whole Capaldi scene, I just thought, oh, where is this going? Why does everyone talk about the creepiness of Capaldi? And even actually, I started thinking that the dad was a weirdo because the way in which he was described. So there are all these kind of deeply flawed human beings. And then there's this objective uh, kind of, you know, un unemo attempting to be unemotional, you know, framework of Clara, which actually all the emotion just pours into. Um, and she she's the one that really captures all of that, where the others are lacking. And I guess the question for us to maybe discuss is, is that saying that, um, is that saying that the things that make us human, these complex feelings, are actually more simple than we thought and can be replicated and pick up? Or is it that, or is it what well, I guess what I was suggesting in my introduction that they are so the, the ability for human beings to create meaning and desire to express emotion is so powerful that it can be even loaded into an inanimate object in terms of a an animal object, you know, a robot, hot, cold metal uh, and, and machinery. Um, let's just anyway, let's go back out and discuss it. Thanks. Ella. Yeah, let's uh, carry on. Uh, Anne. Uh, thanks. I was totally blown away with with this, and I read a, only a limited amount of Ishiguro be, before. Um, I have to confess, I've never read "Never Let Me Go," despite being really interested in all of the issues, because um, I just thought that I would be, I would find it too emotional to read, actually, and. I, with this, I think it, it really claws it at you. I, I just really wonder, though, the way that we're talking about his presentation of artificial intelligence through this and the relationship between artificial intelligence and humanity, because I absolutely, um, I totally agree that, that this is about humanity and it's about what, makes us unique in who we are. But there's something about Clara that is just not artificial intelligence. And I don't think it's that um, he's overstepped in writing it and tried to do, tried and, and tried not deliberately to put something into Clara that it would be impossible to do with artificial intelligence. I think it's right there from the point that, that he refers all the time, she's referred to as an artificial friend rather than a robot. That I am, you know, we are talking here about an artificial friend. And the reason why I make that point is because there's something, isn't there, about Clara, which is what 
enables her to do her job is, or, or to do the function of this thing is not intelligence at all. It's, it, it's not an ability to, um, to, to think in a structured way or work out solutions. It's those things of empathy and understanding and, as, as you're saying, Ellen, belief in the fact that something can happen, which are all things, the, 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 the empathy and belief and understanding, um, which are kind of, I think, and I, I know very, very little about the AI debate and so on, but which would seem to be completely outside of what AI could do. So AI could provide loads of support and all of that. It can come to all kinds of solutions about things. But the idea of empathy is, it, 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 and understanding is a bit out with it. And um, so I just sort of wonder if there's something that he's raising, which is a little bit different to the way in which we're normally talking about AI and humanity. It almost seems to me as though this is not really AI, it's more a kind of fantasy which makes us look at the world in a different way. And I was drawn very much to what Helen, the point that Helen made when she was saying about how he is a writer Helen um, made the point that he treats us like adults. He doesn't kind of explain everything. He throws things. He throws things out. Um, but what it and, and I agree with that. But what it, it what it sort of suggested to me was how he's really talking about context. And there's so much in this book that almost appears very dark and menacing even before you get to any of the dark stuff, there's just this mood about it. And I think the mood is that we don't really understand. We know we don't understand what's going on around. And it just kind of hovers that sense that there's something unsaid, which I guess is where everybody is, certainly where Clara is, of not understanding some of what's really going on. Anyway, that's completely incoherent. And a bit distracted. And a bit distracted by a dog with squeaky toy. But anyway, thanks. That's very interesting, Anne. Thanks. Uh, Joel. Hi, I really liked your introduction, Ella. And Anne, actually, it didn't seem incoherent because I thought there was a lot in that about the mood. And I think we're used to that from science fiction, aren't we, around AI? And we've seen a lot... I, well, I, I'm assuming, you know, most people have seen a lot of science fiction that really sort of grapples with AI and that whole idea about what it is to be human and the AI that can become uh, sort of more than just a sort of, as somebody talked about, processing. Um, I really enjoyed this book and I loved the way that it gradually sort of revealed but never fully explained everything. So you had to really, I think somebody else mentioned this as well, you really had to kind of imagine. So quite often, you know, when um, Clara was talking, you know, uh, or about the boxes and seeing the boxes, it often, often felt like that appeared in, a, in moments where she couldn't fully understand what was going on and moments of 
stress and tension, which were, I thought, quite interesting. It was almost like a slight mechanical breakdown in a way and sort of revealed that sort of machine nature and division. And one of the questions that I, I'm really fascinated by AI and I've read not masses, but a fair bit. And, um, you know, I think AI is very, or assumed to be very goal orientated and is one of the sort of big fears around AI. And one of the things that Clara exhibits, I think a few people mention is she seems to have some empathy and understanding and not only that, but a kind of judgment. I mean, Ella, you were talking about, you know, when she goes to see the, uh, the, the robot body that's going to replace Josie. And um, I thought, you know, that there was a sort of, you know, having a sort of a deception about and making a judgment about what to do. But also I thought there's that bigger question about what is intelligence and some of the stuff you know, that I've read around that and around consciousness and AI, you know, that's, I don't think people really agree exactly what intelligence is. You know, there's still one of these sort of hotly contested things. And um, I, I was recently reading some Merleau-Ponty, who was a uh, French philosopher who sort of about the same time as Sartre and de Beauvoir. And he talks about this notion of, he wrote a whole book about perception and the idea um, that people sort of assume that too much of intelligence and not, not too much of intelligence, but we tend to separate the mind and body. And he's really in this whole uh, sort of notion about that our experience is so tied into embodiment and you know, we can't necessarily separate those things. I think it goes back to that sort of Cartesian sort of split of mind and body. And I think that's one of the big challenges of AI and the whole idea of consciousness and why it's become so sort of hard to, uh, you know, kind of explain. And I think it does throw up all of these questions about how we as humans really learn and experience things in, it's not just a mental experience, it's something that I feel is quite embodied as well. And it's something that Clara seems to be able to sort of tap into, but never quite fully. It's funny, I also just didn't have the same emotional connection with Clara at the end. I didn't feel that tearfulness and sad. I perhaps, you know, I, I saw her as the robot whose time was up. Um, and, and again, I think as other people have said, I think Rick was the character that I sort of most sort of felt very loving towards. Thanks, Joel. Uh, so I'll take Helen again. If anybody else wants to ask questions or uh, you know raise anything else we haven't mentioned at all, then uh, feel free to put your hand up, uh, Helen. Um, yeah, I, I, just listening to the discussion. I think I think the more I listen to what people are saying, the more I think that. Um, I don't think it's, I mean, I've said already, I don't think it's about AI, but I think that when you think about the ending um, and, and you think about how people become human, obviously we become human through interacting with other humans, through um, observing, through empathy, but also 
uh, the way that other people interact with us. And I think that what the ending is really all about is that um, you can't become, I think this is what it's about, you can't really become human um, in isolation. Um, because what happens to uh, Clara is that she is she has the empathy, she can put herself in other people's shoes, she can, you know, over time, begin to make sense of what is happening to people. But nobody feels, nobody empathises with her. There's no kind of, it's not a two-way street. She is the ultimate lonely person. She's the person who can't have the, the, the real genuine two-way interaction with others. And so her, and when she says she couldn't become Josie because she, she wouldn't have, um, you know, what other people had, I think that's what she's really saying is that what makes us human because I think she's a metaphor for what makes us human, is, is both sides of things. It's both having empathy and having people uh, love you or empathise with you. And she doesn't have the second part of it. In fact, when she goes into the room with the sadly named Helen, who is a, um, who calls her a vacuum cleaner, you know, and she says, oh, well, should I call you a person or a vacuum cleaner or, you know, whatever it is. And nobody can relate to her as a human. And so she never has that sort of sense of trust and, um, uh, and, and what it means to be loved. And I think that that's, um, and, and I think you can see also that when Clara, when, when Josie wakes up in the middle of the night afraid to die, you know, that bit where she calls for her mum and she realises she would never, that, that Josie would never feel like that about her in terms of the comfort and joy that, you know, your parent can bring you when you have a deep parental love. And I think that's what really the book is saying is it, it, it is about experience. It is, you know, we're not born with, um, you know, all of our fully made emotions. We, we develop them through our interactions with people and all of her interactions are so one-sided. Um, the other thing I just wanted to say is I thought very much, I think Ella made this point that he does like this theme of servants um, and, but I thought what was different, because in, in um, Remains of the Day, it, you know, it's all about the servant's relationship to the, the that terrible bloke whose name I can't now remember, who is the Nazi. Um, and in that, the, the servile relationship is, is absolutely crushing because he never can actually become himself and he can't even recognise when someone loves him. But in this, he's developed the idea of that, you know, being servile in that um, Clara does fight back. You know, like when she's told to do things and she's not asked in a nice way, like when she's told to flip over and do all that, she resists it. And when she, uh, you know, and she's defiant. And I think that that is a, it's a development. And I think it kind of, you know, I think it's a very interesting, he does keep that servile theme, but he's obviously moved it on a bit in terms of how that relationship can develop. And I thought that was quite interesting as well. Chrissy? Hi. Um, yeah, I think, um, agree, to, uh, agree absolutely with what Helen's just saying there. It le leads into what I was um, uh, thinking about, which is to do with how um, Clara is the only character, or only main character in the book, who isn't motivated by her own self-interest. She's motivated by her uh, programming, basically, which is to care for um, the, the, um, the girl. Um, 
Uh, and in a, in a sense, I, I find that that's, that that's interesting in that um, it seems to be because she doesn't have her own centre, she, she's not centred in, uh, in terms of her own self-interest in the way the other characters are, that that is, goes a long way to explaining why she can't be drawn into humanity and, and can't become humanised through, through social relations. Um, so it's not that she... Um, like so many other um, characters that have looked at robots and, and AI, um, seem to miss that. So it's not a question of will, it's not a question of emotion, it is a question of um, this re relationship, how self-interest and, be and becoming social, socialised and uh, recognising the, the self in, within the other and all of that, that, that that's the essence of uh, what it means to be human. Uh, in terms of... Um, this sort of um, plausibility of it, I think it again, it's, it comes a lot closer to being plausible than most of the other explorations of uh, the possible re um, relations with humans and robots, in the sense that she is not constructed to do the sort of things that machines are really good at. Um, she, is, she is created to be a companion, a friend to, to a child. So, um, because it's, it's often occurred to me that that um, if humanity were to create a type of artificial intelligence that is capable of human consciousness, that it would be necessarily be bound up with the ability to make mistakes. We can't really be human without that capacity. And, and that's exactly what we don't want from machines when they are being useful and, uh, and in an industrial context. So I found that actually relatively convincing as a, as a possible um, um, prediction toward the future. I just wanted to finish on one final thing, which I think is, um, is intriguing, is a, a few people have mentioned that they have more sympathy with Rick than most of the other characters. And I go, I go along with that, but I would just like to, to mention that Rick's... Um, abiding passion is creating um bird drones so he's he, he's his hobby which is also likely to be his future career is all bound up with engineering these birds that look um convincing as, as real birds um but are in fact um robots that uh, and and it's quite clear that the that if he is going to have a future in this He's, it's going to be quite a sinister job that he will be involved in, in the sense that he's going to be creating um, surveillance uh, drones. Um, and that does sort of hint at quite a dystopian aspect to this future where we're, where, uh, where we're, um, we're all going to be, be watched uh, without knowing when we're going to be watched. It, it, and he also, he, um, he's asked about this at, at one point, and he basically gives the um, he, he 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 gives the excuse of instrumental reason that it's not up to him to decide uh, on the ethics of this sort of work. Um, that's that's up to that's really up to the government to decide that. Um, so in in some senses, there I, I think that 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 his character is has got something another level to think about anyway. I'll get Ella to come back on some points and then we'll see if we've got people want to have one more round. Some of that dystopian stuff hasn't 
really been mentioned that much. Obviously, somebody's just asked in the chat about what do we think about lifting and how, what it means and what it is. And also there was the father who was very pointedly accused of whether he lived in a, whether he was a fascist or he fascist. lived in a fascist commune. And also where was it situated? Because what they kept saying they'd been to England and then they talked about going to California or wherever at some point, but it wasn't clear where the whole situation, it was like the continents had moved. So that, the, the, there's that, that whole side of things as well. Uh, Ella. Yeah, Jane, I think it was Sandman made a point in the chat about how Never Let Me Go is this, um, you know, just thinking about setting, is this incredibly barbaric situation of uh, utilising clones and harvesting organs in a in a normal seeming world for all intents and purposes, you know, in, uh, you know, that kind of English countryside and uh, it's quite idyllic kind of pastoral scenes and that kind of thing. But I think a similar thing is happening. Um, there's, not, there's, there's nothing necessarily barbaric, although I do think the use and abuse of Clara, which I think Breeze mentioned maybe, um, the way in which the human beings just kind of dispose of her is is it's not quite um, it's not quite organ harvesting, but that kind of use and abuse of uh, instrumental use of something that's acting or even uh, almost acting like human is is pretty distasteful. But the but in the same way in, in Clara and the Sun, I mean, I think it's loosely based on something kind of American because they use phrases like sidewalks and they they say mom. M-O-M, and like there's some hints that it's somehow related to America, but um, but it's kind of a it's it, you know that like as Jess says, there are so many things happening in the background, whether it's um this hint of fascism, which is kind of made as a throwaway comment, almost in a bitchy sense against the dad, and he reacts very badly about it. But there's you know the suggestion of some kind of cop yeah as Jess says communes. There's the question of why we've got to a situation in which some kids are being lifted and some are not. I mean, to, to Chrissy's point about Rick, yes, but I think it's a, uh, it, 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 I think it's the con, it made his decision to do that makes sense in the context of this world in which it's kind of dog eat dog, eat or be eaten. It feels like that. There's a real desperation. I mean, one of the most frightening parts um, of that interaction meeting that the kids have is this kind of simmering competition and desperation that, you know, the whole nature of the kids being lifted is about, you know, there are, they're living in a world of scarcity that actually you have to, you have to take on board this huge risk of your child maybe dying. I mean, the fact that Chrissy does it twice after Sal has died means there's some kind of pressure in the background um, pushing the characters to make these decisions. And we're never really told what, we're not told what the context of that is you know what is the pressure that's pushing rick's mother to go and debase herself um so awfully with this guy um in order to give her kid a chance there's you know even the um you know you couldn't see the kind of uh, when i initially read the bit about the cootings machine and the pollution i thought oh god here we go please don't be making a a kind of environmentalist point but it wasn't that it was it was that there's you know, there's something wrong with this society, but you can't quite put your finger on it. The fact, you know, and he also uses not even kind of futuristic things to point that out. I mean, the fact that the beggar man is supposed, you know, is he dead? Is he not? And then he gets up or he moves. And there's that whole kind of, there's a kind of simmering nastiness in all of this, which only gives 
only shines a brighter light like the sun on the uh, on the moments in which Clara is so wonderful. So there's, you know, that uh, to go back to that interaction meeting. So I think that was really one of the mo- one of the most important scenes in the book. The fact that she dislikes Josie really, actually, in that she the way in which she sees Josie being this little bitch of a teenager, kind of you know, uh, doing down on Rick, supposedly the you know her childhood sweetheart, the love of her life, and doing all those things that teenagers do, which is kind of demeaning, uh, demeaning people, not standing up for people, and the tensions that are going on there. You can feel Clara's you know, dislike. And she has to actually reassure herself later, I think, when she's talking to Rick, where she says, I know, I think, I believe that Clark, that, that Josie is good, but she just has, but you, you know, that, that kind of, that, that, uh, I think Joel was talking about intelligence. I mean, what is intelligence, if not preempting what you think someone else is, is feeling or thinking, or actually even preempting what you think um, someone's personality is like, and the kind of human being they are. Um, just two other points um you know the the whole what helen was talking about in terms of um i think helen and chrissy were talking about in terms of the fact that not just that people are flawed but also that the question of um, making mistakes or or experiencing loss is important to how we understand people being human i mean i suppose that's why i really honed in on chrissy as one of the more complex characters because she's she's been uh, she has she's not just like um, Josie or Helen who's a bit kind of like even though you you get this hint that Helen's had this real backstory quite interesting past she's this kind of frivolous character and the housekeeper is just the housekeeper and the dad is just the dad but Chrissy's got this kind of the, this pushing and pulling within her because of the fact that she's lost a child and I think that the you know the the way in which even Josie is kind of has this almost artificial relationship with her mother even though she does call for her mum in that time of need when she when when it's in the dark parts of her illness it's all a bit performative because I think what Ishiguri is really saying is it's the and I don't want to I don't want to make too much of a political point here in terms of the things that we might be interested in celebrating the fact that people do have to go through hardship you know this much maligned concept these days that anything that uh anything that kind of breaks your spirit momentarily is to be avoided um but i think he is saying something about that because it's the characters who are most interesting who are most able to um you're most able to empathize with have either felt disappointment or loss i mean rick has felt disappointment and chrissy and there is this you know helen pointed to the last the last few pages where um she's talking josie's talking to the manager and I mean, she says she says the reason why she thinks she can never be like Josie is because I'd never have reached what they felt for Josie in their hearts, which is, yeah, they they would never love me. Um, I'm now sure of this manager, she says. And then the manager says, well, Clara, I'm glad you feel things worked out for the best. And you just think, oh, my heart is broken for this this robot who's just I mean, I think that's the thing. That's the reason why I cried at the end is because that is the fear of loneliness i think that you know that the fact that he wrote this you know at a time when his mother mother had died and was dying and his relationship you know relationship to a parent dying and the loss of that but also the world we live in which is you know i think colored in many ways by fear of alienation and a fear, a fear of the inevitableness of alienation that the real you know the 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 real danger 
it's not the fascism or the Kutin's machine or all these kinds of things, but it's not being able to relate to each other and not being not being human because no one's ever recognized your humanness. No one ever actually feels for you. That's, you know, that Clara dies in as much as a robot can die lonely you know the 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 manager scrapes she makes an awful noise scraping the crate away and as Bruce says doesn't look someone said doesn't look back it's like that's that's what every in the dark nights of the soul that we have that's I think what everyone is fearful of um and in that I mean that's the power of Ishiguri that's in fact actually if I just remember a, a point that I made in my um in in my uh, review of The Buried Giant that I wrote for Spike, he said the central concern of that novel was the fear of the past and whether its hidden secrets will change the future. You know, that fear of, I actually think I'm contradicting myself now. I said that Clara didn't have a memory, but actually the fear, she she does, and she does, ref, uh, the book is her reflecting. So in some ways she does have a memory, but it's that fear of looking back on your life and and thinking I didn't really ever have an impact on anyone I was lonely and that's what Clara kind of comes to the conclusion of because that's why Josie could flip off to college and not really care about her and why even the mother though she does you know does care about her in some way really only utilize her for what she needs her to to perform um either as a clone or as a friend for her daughter and so that you know, it's it's not it's not a, a, to use Ishkuri's word. It's not bleak. It's not dystopian, but it's sad. It's that kind of that fear of loneliness that I think is so central to the book, but it's also central to. I don't think he just wants you to kind of cry as I did, but he wants you to re- to realize that that sadness, that that fear, that desperation is unbreakable from what it means to be human that actually you can't have the sun shining and the light and all of that without the I'm sounding cliche now but without the darkness without the fear side of it um yeah okay so well one more round so people have got any final things they want to raise anything hasn't been discussed yet certainly Helen made the point earlier that and I know having read a number of Ishiguro books it's Often we say when we discuss these authors, when you hear the authors interviewed, you think, oh, they wrote a really good book which captured something. But when they try and explain it, you think, oh, that's rather disappointing. The novel did it really well. And Ishiguro is one of those people who, you don't always agree with what he said, as, as Alice said, but he actually has quite a good grasp of many things. And when he's interviewed, it's always very interesting, as well as his novels being very interesting. And, it's, and Helen made that point that you, I don't know quite what you're saying, but you understand something, when you finish reading his novel, you understand something of your own life that you didn't understand before. I don't know how he does it, but it's, often you understand something about society from reading a novel, but reading Ishiguro, you understand quite profound things about your own life, which you didn't understand before. So I know when we discuss it at the book club and when we do The Buried Giants, the classic of this, People haven't read it, but uh, and this this novel as well. You even don't always know what it is, and you have to work out what it is. But it just has that has that effect. Um, are, are there any other things people want to raise, or just now's your chance? And then uh, I'll get Ella to uh, uh, to summarise. Do feel free, uh, Helen. You're muted. Sorry, I don't want to oversay, but. I thought on the thing about lifting, I thought that he, it was quite an interesting kind of uh, next step of how um, 
you know, of some of the sort of thoughts around parenting at the moment. I thought it was quite a um, kind of cynical portrayal of uh, what happens. I mean, like in Washington, you know, there's, I don't know, two elite schools and people do everything to get their kids into school because that's the path to Yale or Harvard or whatever it is. And that sort of notion that you've got this one chance and, you know, if you're not going to take it for your child, you know, you have to make this sacrifice in order for your child to have the best thing, rather than realizing that actually let them live and they'll actually become good human beings. I think there is, I think he is sort of poking, not fun, he's criticizing that attitude um, that I think is very prevalent amongst sort of upper middle class, certainly American parents. I can't believe it doesn't happen in Britain as well, that you know, that it's like you've got this one shot, I have to give up everything, I have to almost live the life of my child in order to give them this sort of opportunity um, to become who they are. And I thought the other thing was that, that was interesting was that um, when you say that Josie isn't a very sympathetic character, I mean, I do think she's a, a teenager. And in fact, the fact that she's been lifted is neither one thing or the other. I mean, she's just a really horrible, bratty teen. I mean, I thought when she didn't say goodbye to Clara, I thought, again, my kids didn't really say goodbye to me very much when they went to university. They were just like, bye, mum, I'm off, I'm off. You know, so... And I'm sure if we all look back on how we looked at, you know, I think he actually, I looked up actually, does he have a child? Because he must know how mean and horrible children can be to their parents. And yes, he does. So I think, I think he also kind of, he, in a slightly fun way, captures that sort of thing. Like when he, they say, oh, she's so, what does Rick call her? Changeable. You know, that she's one thing to one people and one thing to another people. And that's very human as well. I think that's what Chrissy was saying, that those things are, um, you know they're important, and I think he he's re he observes those things really well, and kind of makes fun of ourselves um, in in doing that. Thanks, Sarah. Yeah, well, for me, um, the uh, the novel really raised huge questions about the sort of the codification of emotions and the codification of emotional intelligence and. Uh, I completely take, you know, what Ella, Ella and Ishiguru um, talk about with rooms within rooms within rooms and the sort of like the, the essential unknow, unknowableness um, of, of, um, of emotions. But at the same time, there is a layer uh, on top of that that is codified and that is, you know, contextual and that as a society and, uh, you know, we make decisions about what emotional intelligence is. A lot of, you know, human resources work in, in workplaces about actually is about um, imposing uh, that and being very, very clear on what emotional intelligence is and isn't. And so you have like Clara, who has been coded uh, with emotional intelligence and, and we uh, see a stark contrast between her, um, her intelligence in terms of human empathy, uh, which has been coded and, and her uh, kind of like wild interpretations on how to cure uh, Clara and I was just sort of cringing uh, that, that, that she was going to be discovered with these just like really odd ideas that she'd go to a barn and and, and, and tell the son uh, that uh, that Josie needed to uh, be recovered you know and that, that does point to the sort of like the ultimately artificial intelligence is about human intelligence and and, and Clara has only been uh, partly coded 
hasn't she? You know, she's very limited uh, in that respect, but it also says something about how we all are coded uh, to a certain extent. We're all we're all subjected to those that those forces and those pressures to behave in a certain way, or we won't be popular. And I know that when Gary Newman, the pop star, um, who's got Asperger's syndrome, uh, when he met his wife, his wife kind of coded him. Uh, the coach, he she taught him a load of rules and said, well, you know, if another person is doing this, this means that they feel this, uh, and therefore maybe you might want to do this. And, and so, you know, in a way, to a certain extent, we are all coded. Thanks, Sarah. Uh, Joel. That's really interesting, Sarah, that thing about coded, because one of the things about AI at the moment is, of course, you know, it's running behind so many things. And, you know, one of the most common ways that we experience it is if you like this, then you'll like this. And the way that things, the algorithms are sort of sold to us all the time through everything from Spotify to, to Facebook. Um, I just wanted to come back to Wendy's comment, actually, which is, again, that the thinking, the menacing thing is the idea of machines substituting or replacing humans. Because I know, you know, in some ways for many people, it's the focus on the human relationships and what that means. And I think often a lot of the conversations around AI have been very much about that the last few years. And I wonder whether there's a sort of, um, I think, I wonder if there's a sort of current sort of reaction against the more sort of extreme sort of scientism that we've had through technology over the last few years. You know, that the sort of idea that we're all just a bunch of matter. And, um, and because I think there are some scientists who, you know, particularly sort of at the beginning of sort of things of AI, there was a whole bunch of people who were sort of warning against AI, but there were a lot of people who really you know, there's this big debate about free will at the moment and whether determinism and um, that's sort of going on between various sort of philosophers. And again, it sort of taps into consciousness and uh, those things about whether we're actually all sort of on a, a sort of set path and whether we've really chosen and have agency. And, and, and I think this book sort of plays with some of that in a way, um, in the way that you know, Clara again comes up with, she seems to have her own agency um, in spite of being an AI. And also that thing that, um, that you mentioned about the sun, because I also found myself cringing moments about that almost going to be discovered for having this sort of really stupid belief that the sun was, um, and I know, Ella, you said that uh, there was a fact in it, you know, she was solar powered. And so that was how her own rationality and belief. And that kind of makes sense. But it's that it, there's that sort of tension between the rationality and mechanical and machine view of the world and that of the sort of human nature again. And I think I think in a way that's what sort of makes it work as a book, really. Thanks very much, Joe. Are there any final points or questions? If not, I'll just, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. So now's the time to raise your hand. Any final points? And then I'll bring Ella. Uh, Para. 
Um, hi, Ella. I really enjoyed the intro and lots of really good points made. Um, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed the book. Uh, it's my first introduction to this author, so uh, very keen to read some of the other uh, books. Um, the only point I wanted to make um, is um, just about the sun business, uh, because you could turn it, flip it around and see it as humans when they're really into wanting something to happen like uh, you know make someone better uh, if people are ill for instance you would believe anything and go for anything including uh, irrational stuff that you know in your head might not work but you'd go for it so when you looked at uh, uh, Clara walked to the barn to try and talk to the sun uh, she also persuaded uh, Josie's dad to um, <laughs> take some of her liquid and sabotage this machine. And you think, surely he must have known that there are millions of machines out there all doing the same thing. But for me, it read like, you know, you'd grasp at hope if you want his daughter in this instance uh, to be uh, better. Uh, so I think it is very much... Uh, and someone said this, the metaphor for how humans are and the way we work with each other and relate to each other. And it's not always all rational and, you know, uh, straightforward. Thanks. OK. Uh, thank you very much. We'll leave it there. And then I'll ask Ella to sum up for as long as you like on as many any outstanding points or anything you'd like to. Yeah, that's, I mean, we covered so much. There's not, I agree with much, lots of the points. Um, Helen has just pointed the fact that, as Paris says, Clara gives up part of herself for Josie, which is very human. Um, and I mean, not to keep banging on about Chrissy, but I think it is, it is important that Ishiguru is in his, in her own way, Chrissy is, is risking giving up something in order to prolong Josie. She's risking giving, she's, trying to give up her belief in humanity she's trying to give up her own intelligence sanity whatever it is to try and save her daughter in some kind of a way in this very perverse way and obviously actually it's her mother's love that prevents really prevents her from doing i mean we'll never know because josie survives but there's uh there that you know the that her kind of desire to sacrifice herself or some part of herself for Josie is there as well. But it, but the point that Para makes about um, belief is important because actually one of the other sort of very bleak parts of this book is that the only, the only character in it who does believe in something higher than, you know, does, does desire to, uh, th th thinks about something transcendental almost, whether it be the sun's power or the sort of superstitious belief that the, and the bringing an end to the Cootings machine would would and and pleasing the sun in that way, making a sacrifice for the sun, um, would save Josie. Is Clara? I mean, there, there's a there's a real kind of um, cold, rational, logical way in which lots of the other characters you know, exist. I mean, the housekeeper, for example, even though she's quite a two-dimensional character in some ways, um, is the kind of epitome of that very perfunctory, very kind of um, uh, detached in a way, kind of, uh, even though she does, she cares about Josie, the kind of uh, 
what word am I trying to look for? A, you know, just a dismissal of anything that isn't immediate, that isn't explainable. You know, the fact that you can you can imagine if Chrissy had caught Clara in the barn, how disdainful she would have been of that in this kind of a way that I think he's trying to say something that Clara perhaps is more human in some ways than the others, but her ability to kind of, to desire that someone, whether it be God or the sun or something else intervenes and, and saves her, that kind of, that kind of longing um, is very, is very human. Um, but I just wanted to finish on pointing to this scene in which the, the, you know, the really, really harrowing bit at the waterfall where you get a kind of the first little glimpse that something's, happening in relation to Chrissy's plans for this Josie robot where she asks Clara to first start imitating her walk and then you remember when she asked Clara to walk like Josie in the store and then she gets Clara to talk like Josie and has the most <laughs> the thing that's so moving about it is she has the most suggested that she has the most frank conversation with her daughter that she ever has the, the most real conversation with her daughter that she ever has because she says um, to the to Clara pretending to be Josie you know she gets angry with her and she says you know you're not going to be fine and I w wish you would stop getting sick and when Josie when Josie Clara says I I I'm going to be fine she says you know how can you say that what do you know about it and don't make me promises Sal made me promises and she's you know she 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 is real and she's not being real with Josie in a, in a way that you can understand because she wants to protect her daughter but she's being real um, in this interaction with a with a fake Josie. And then, you know, two pages after that, I don't know if I'm reading too much into this, but two pages after that on the very kind of, it all goes sour as we know, because Josie starts saying, don't worry, I've got a special plan. And then Chrissy kind of snaps out of it and says, what, what's this? This isn't Josie, this is you. And it all goes sour in the car. And when she's looking out of the... Um, looking out of the car she sees these sheep that she compares with the bull that caused so much fear in her and she's kind of she's it, it, anthropomorphizing them in some ways but then she sees Clara Clara says this I could see a tree with a trunk that was in fact three thin trunks entwined together to look like a single one I observed it carefully as we passed turning in my seat to see it longer see it for longer and if we're to if we're to accept that Ishiguri does nothing by accident in his books, and that particularly in this book it is very very pared back, um, and and every every word is placed really. It's actually the craft of his kind of um, of his writing is incredible. Um, then there must be something that he's that he's hinting, alluding to us here in that that idea of of the rooms within rooms of the heart of the tree being actually three trees within one, um, and so and nodding to that complexity that Clara can kind of just about or is reaching to understand. That's what she's saying at the end that there's something within the within Rick and the mother and the ma and the manager and all these people that has Josie at heart that I will never have it's that kind of what Ishiguri is constantly saying is this can you understand the human soul um can you understand the human heart this thing that's that we don't have any factual proof of um a conscience you know a uh, a living uh world within within ourselves um, and I don't know that he's saying yes or no, but he's saying it's complicated. And I guess what he's saying is that the, the acknowledging that it's complicated is part of the human experience. But it's also something that we might be losing touch of 
that desire to uh, investigate that complexity, to enter through those rooms in rooms. I mean, the reason why the father Paul is so dispiriting is because he's given up on the rooms within rooms. He's he's kind of saying, yeah, well, I think probably I'm I've, I'm afraid that Capaldi is right. And the reason why the mother is in many ways so uh, so wonderful actually is because she can't because you because she you know at the end of the day whether it's putting our faith in the sun or, or some kind of higher being or whether it's um trying to work out what you know trying to stave off loneliness that complexity of of uh of coming to terms with our rooms within rooms is is integral to the human experience and I think that's you know whether it be the myth making of the buried giant or the fact of the love story and never let me go it's that kind of Ishiguri it's his says he says it's his dirty secret he's returning again and again to trying to not answer the question of whether we have a heart and whether artificial intelligence can replicate that heart and soul but actually what it is um you know can we come to can we come face to face with the idea that we do have one and we might not ever actually understand it and what does that mean for our sense of ourselves i think i'll leave it there thanks very much ella that was really uh, really interesting discussion brilliant introduction